Hey rock stars, I'm Lydia Billings. And I'm Colleen Starcoke. And you're listening to Rules Aren't Real, a Rowan Coaching production. Have you ever followed a rule that didn't end up serving you? Here's an example. I can't be an artist and make money. Or how about this one? You can't start a new career after 30. Colleen and I want to explore why people often follow these rules, even though they aren't always awesome. Every other week, we'll dissect and debunk a societal, cultural, or individual rule invented by humans. We'll also look at some of the neuroscience behind why we're wired to follow the beaten path. On the alternating weeks, we'll interview a super rad real-life guest who has achieved badass results by completely breaking the previous week's rule. Get ready to climb out of that box, folks. Welcome to Rules Aren't Real. Welcome, everybody, of Rules Aren't Real, featuring a very special guest, someone we're super excited to interview, Ms. Marcy Richardson. Hey! (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, uh, Marcy is originally from Gross Point, Michigan, and she is a New York City-based, wait for it, classical soprano, that's opera singer, aerialist and pole acrobat. So she performs as a singing aerialist and pole dancer with Company XIV. I don't know if you guys know about Company XIV, but they are fucking fabulous. Like the most gorgeous shit in the city right now. Um, It's a dance company that seamlessly combines dance, opera, popular music, circus arts, and burlesque to tell really cool stories, fairy tales, and all kinds of other things. Um, Marcy is equally at home as a concert soloist at Carnegie Hall, as she is performing in burlesque supper clubs. And Marcy and I actually met at Indiana University um, years ago. Let's not let's not talk about how many years ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that's where she got her her bachelor's and her master's degree in voice performance. And she started studying pole and aerial arts six years ago at Body and Pole. So we're super excited to talk to Marcy today about debunking this rule um, that we kind of broke down last week, which is real artists don't get naked. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so, so Marcy, um, why don't you start by just kind of telling us a little bit about your journey? Sure. Um, you know, I started singing in high school and I really, my big dream was sort of to become a, a pop singer because, you know, I had so many idols and inspirations growing up, especially Madonna. You know, I really loved how, you know, even, even as a young teenager before I could really understand, you know, exactly what she was about, you know, cause that was, that was the time again, I'm dating myself. Uh, that was the time when she was really embracing her sexuality more than ever, a uh, very strong woman, ambitious woman. So, you know, I started taking voice lessons sort of with this intention of following a path like that and accidentally discovered that I actually had a very classical soprano voice and I ended up studying opera more and more. And of course, as you mentioned, Studied, studied at Indiana University and really was very opera focused. So I had this shift, you know, this dream that I wanted to be sort of a sexy pop icon that ended up putting me on this path of this very traditional classical opera path that was much more conservative and constrained that I had intended, but I really loved it. I loved the music. 
And as time has gone on, I discovered pole, I discovered aerial. And of course, in New York, there's a really big, um, there's a burlesque has really enjoyed quite, quite a revival in recent years. And they often need specialty artists who can do pole or aerial and of course singers. And so I sort of, one thing led to another and I, I started dipping my toe into burlesque a little bit. So things have come very full circle for me. You know, I started out really wanting, wanting a career that was very edgy and it ended up very traditional, very opera. And then I've sort of come full circle and that I'm, I've ended up as this sort of edgy, sexy, opera singing, pole dancing, aerial burlesque performer. So it's been a really interesting path so far. It's so cool. like people are capable of being more than one thing at the same time. Well, oh, right. Humans. I love you know, humans. <laughs> well, and I, I, of course, grew up taking, you know, dance lessons as a lot of people do. And I moved to New York after my studies and I did go to a few dance auditions and it, it became apparent to me very quickly that uh, compared to New York City dancer dancers, I was not a dancer and it was pretty discouraging for me. But at 30 years old, that was six years ago, I took my very first pole class and six years later, you know, it's really, I've enjoyed quite a, um, quite a, a revival in my career. Not that I wasn't working a lot before, but it's really refreshed and invigorated my career. And this is a skill set that I didn't even pick up until I was 30 years old. How did you originally get introduced to that? How did you find it? I saw a video online, actually, of a very famous pole dancer. Her name is Felix Kane. And she went on to perform with Cirque du Soleil, and she runs a very successful pole studio in Australia. But I saw a very famous video of her winning uh, Miss Pole Dance Australia. And it's, it's one of those iconic videos that I think has inspired lots of women like me to take up pole dancing because it was so sexy and beautiful, but there were so many dance elements, gymnastic elements, and it was so graceful and I and so strong. And I just thought, gosh... I wish that were me, you know, I wish I could do something even remotely like that. And of course, you know, Facebook advertising stalkers, you know, see what you're looking at online. So shortly after I saw an advertisement for body and pole on my Facebook feed and I thought, what the hell, you know, I'll go take, take a pole class. And that's kind of what started it all. I saw a video and went to class and got to it. Fell in love, right? I absolutely did. I, I fell in love right away. I will say with pole, there's definitely an awkward phase. You know, you have all these visions of you doing these amazing things that you see in these videos right away. And it takes, it takes some time and patience. And it's not also, it's, it's, it's not a cheap thing to study. So it took me a couple years at least to get, get up to the level that I, I wanted to be at. But with perseverance, it, it really came along. So I love it. That's awesome. amazing. And, and I think uh, if I remember this correctly, you've actually gotten to the point where not only are you skilled in pole and it kind of adds some extra edge and oomph to your singing career, you've actually competed in pole and won some pretty important competitions. Do I have that right? Yeah, I mean, that's actually what got me to a very high level. You know, a lot of people might sign up for a marathon, for example, is, is a, a fitness goal for themselves, you know, and you spend three months training for something like that. Pole competition is exactly the same. 
So, you know, you usually train for several months leading up to the competition. And it's very much like, I I describe it to people as sort of like a figure skating competition. You know, you create an original piece that's three to four minutes long, and you're judged on artistic merit, level of difficulty, execution, form, musicality, all of these things uh, to come up with the score. And the really cool thing about pole is it's a very inclusive sport. Uh, there are organizations where you can enter sort of at, you know, a level two, right? So in level two, you can't, you can't go upside down from the air. So you're only competing with girls who are at your level. Level three, you can go upside down, you know, from the air. That's called an aerial inversion. Level four, you know, you can only have, you're allowed to have less points of contact than the lower levels. So you can really have a have a um, equal playing field depending on the level you enter. Mm-hmm. So I, I started with level two, you know, just something really simple. And I remember being so nervous. I mean, I've, again, I've been a soloist at some pretty huge concert halls, but pole, I just thought, oh God, I could never be good enough to perform in public. I could never be good enough to share a stage with some of these amazing athletes. And you know, I was addicted after the first one I did at level two and, and I actually didn't have a lot of coaching for that and ended up coming in fourth or fifth out of 25 girls. So I was hooked. And from there in that same year, I entered level three with the pole sport organization, uh, won that at the, you know, Atlantic pole championships. And then I went on to do the national competition at level four, which is the highest level you can get without actually competing for money. And I won that as well. And that was in 2014. And, and that really, that really helped get me to the professional level I'm at now. Cause otherwise I'm not sure if I would have had a reason to make everything so clean, make everything so perfect, you know, keep the po- the toes pointed all the time. So, you know, as soon as I was done with a few competitions, I really feel like, you know, that got me to the professional level that I'm at now. Sure. And, you know, for all of you listening, um, we are definitely going to post uh, some of these videos. I'm not sure which one. Marcy, maybe you can send us some of your favorites oh, or, sure. or maybe Absolutely. even a video of the the performance that won you these competitions. And, you know, maybe you'll get inspired to take up to take up pole or to take up aerial, um, you know, we can, we can serve the same function for you that uh, this Australian awesome sauce person served for Marcy. Um, So getting kind of back to our rule here, Marcy, you, you helped us come up with a really interesting rule to debunk today. This rule that real artists don't get naked. Can you, can you tell us a little bit more about, um, why this was an idea that you wanted to play with with us. When I said, what's a rule that you've bra- broken that really led to your success? Um, why did this one come to mind? I think, you know, in my studies, they, the people, the, the powers that be instill a lot of fear in everybody. You know, you have to wear these certain clothes. You have to act a certain way for people to take you seriously And I remember in one of my first apprenticeships after graduate school, I was performing with the Baltimore Opera Company, and I was there as a resident artist, which means I did small roles on the main stage, I did a lot of opera outreach, a lot of concerts, and in one particular production, The Tales of Hoffman, there's a scene where they're in a brothel, and the director had a lot of dancers in the scene, and last minute, they all requested to be covered up more. You know, they felt they were 
too naked for the scene. And, and the director was, was really upset about that because it just wasn't the vision that he had. So sort of off the cuff at a party after the show had already opened, I said, well, you know, it's too bad. You should have just asked me because I'm not shy and, and I would have, you know, stepped up and, and done this, you know, to get a, the, a better effect for you. And very unexpectedly, he decided to restage the scene. And I can't even tell you, I mean, directors in my program were telling me that I was going to ruin my career because he wanted me to go on stage in a thong and, and pasties. They put a mask on me and a wig because they were afraid that donors, you know, would recognize me and, and feel like what I was doing was maybe unsavory. Uh, my fellow young artists, even though they love and support me, I think they sort of felt like it was it was causing drama and and just wasn't necessary. So a, a lot of people sort of freaked me out and and said that I was going to ruin my career, quote unquote, if I was doing things like this on stage. And I made a few phone calls to some really trusted stage directors and they said, don't worry about it, go for it. And ironically enough, you know, more than 10 years later, much of my job is being on stage in, you know, pasties in a G-string. And it certainly hasn't hurt my career at all. It's it's done nothing but help to be open-minded. Very cool. So very cool. cool. Yeah. I just what questions pause. do you have? Yeah. I need to just acknowledge how fucking badass all of our guests are. Like, I'm just <laughs> sitting over here listening, being like, damn, girl, in like a couple of months, you won how many competitions? Um, so just kudos, first of all. Thank um, you. And for following a dream that you discovered like full out you know full stop I love that um yeah I think I'm well I'm first of all frustrated that people told you that it was a bad idea to be in a thong and pasties because like fuck that but I'm curious what um what has opened up for you in your career because of your willingness to be authentic and to get naked and not like there are opportunities you've gotten that you wouldn't have gotten, but I'm curious what your experience is as an artist, given that you're so comfortable being who you are and like being naked and just putting it all out there when you're performing. Cause I imagine a lot of people who feel uncomfortable with that are like, feel kind of held back. Maybe, I don't know. I used to be a dancer and I'm kind of thinking about how would I feel? So I'm curious what your experience is. As well, a I think there's a lot there's a lot less of that in the dance field. You know, most of them are so comfortable in their bodies and they're they're used to dancing and rehearsing in very little clothing. And singers not so much. We're not as used to that. But I will say in in recent years, you know, the opera business has really suffered and a lot of companies are desperately struggling to stay relevant somehow. So while a lot of them are adding edginess and nudity in their productions, you know, I I think that's not exactly the way to go. I think you have to have the goods, no matter, you know, whether you're naked or not naked, you need to have the voice, the presence, something really special to offer, whether you're naked or not. That being said, there's also been, as I said, this huge increase in popularity in burlesque. So when I first really dipped my toes into this, it was with a uh, burlesque opera, actually, um, called The Enchanted Organ. And it's uh, it's an opera that's uh, based on the porn industry. It's sort of a satire of the porn industry. And it was 
the first opera that I was required to do a big striptease number and end up in pasties and tassels. And they needed someone who is brave, you know, who could do something like that and still sing opera and still sing difficult contemporary music. So if you if you have a closed mind, you're not going to end up having opportunities like that. So definitely, it's definitely helped because burlesque has gotten increasingly popular. And of course, with company XIV, it's a very legitimate dance company. The level of talent is absolutely insane. Tons of Juilliard grads, people who went through Alvin Ailey and you know, burlesque just happens to be part of their aesthetic. So if you're not willing to go there, that's that's really not an opportunity that's going to open up for you. So I will say the willingness to be open has led to a lot of opportunities, but it hasn't led to opportunity alone. You have to have a lot more than the willingness to get naked to be really successful. Sure, oh, cool. absolutely. Have you, have you faced any continued um criticism uh, around this idea you know that real artists don't get naked like do you do you ever find yourself facing a stigma around being a real artist um and if you do how do you handle that not to my face but i i know for a fact that in the past 10 years as i've as i've gotten involved in all sorts of different projects i know for a fact that there are people behind my back that have thought less of me or, or maybe even thought, you know, who does she think she is? Like just doing whatever she wants, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I definitely have had people threaten to smear me to other opera companies and directors. Right. Because I'm somehow, <laughs> because I'm somehow uncouth or unsavory or, or too sexual or too this or too that. And, you know, I just feel like those people feel threatened and they also probably are jealous, you know, like who, look at that girl just doing whatever the fuck she wants. And, you know, she shouldn't be able to do that if the rest of us can't. Right. right. So Here I, really, I am going through the whole process that everybody told me I had to do with all the expensive dresses and the this and the that and the other. And she's over here taking her clothes off and having a great time. And apparently that's fine. <laughs> yeah. And you know, this girl's like, fuck it. And and I've just chosen to to ignore that and just keep going my path. And 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 I also feel like you're to your point, people who've been coached. You know, I have to wear the certain kind of dress. It has to cover my knees. It has to cover my boobs. It has to have this certain fit, the certain color. You know, I started singing much better auditions when I started dressing like myself. You know, and it wasn't. I'm I'm not saying I'm walking in there naked, but I remember one audition in particular. I had you know, a pretty short, orange, cute little dress on with sort of go-go style nude boots with a little bolero jacket. I, you know, very cute outfit, but I would say not traditional, quote unquote. And I did get the job that I, I wore that outfit to, but the director confided in me that someone else who was sitting with him had made a comment like, oh my God, did you see what she was wearing? And he said, oh, I thought it was wonderful. So, I've definitely been judged for not, not going the path, but I sing better and, and present myself better when I'm just presenting myself and not trying to put on some weird opera singer uniform, if that makes any sense. Yeah, of course. Being authentic, totally. right? We, we all are more successful, I think, when we're able to 
to be true to our values and to our natural means of personal expression. Right. I and mean, if you have a problem with what I'm wearing or what I wear to rehearsal or, or, or whatever else, then you know what? You're just not buying what I'm selling. Oh, well, <laughs> you know, I, yeah, I, I don't want to work with die. someone. <laughs> yeah. You know, if, if that's, if you can't, if that's going to make or break everything, you know, forget it. You just work with someone else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Why I think you- not, I think not being afraid also of people not liking me has also led to more work as well, you know, because I haven't been afraid to say no and I haven't, you know, I haven't been afraid to stand up for myself. And even though that's probably led to certain jobs not working out for me, it's opened up so many other doors. And I think that's such an important, uh, an important piece to consider right there, right? Because how many people do we know who stay in something that isn't right for them Um, Or they keep pursuing something that isn't quite right for them because they feel like it's what they should do or it's their only option or they have to make money or whatever else um, versus sort of taking that risk and saying, you know what, this job isn't right for me. I'm a smart cookie. I'll find another way to make a few extra bucks because when you do that, um, jobs become available to you and, and opportunities show up that wouldn't have been available if you had stuck to that kind of should path. Yeah. Right. Right. I spent a long time trying to fit this mold because, you know, as opera singers, there is this formula that you're supposed to follow, I guess, that you study in school, you go do all these apprenticeships, you get a big agent and you, you know, to be on any opera agents roster, they like you to fit a mold. So for example, the agent's going to look at their roster and say, I need this type of soprano. And they have to sing all of these different styles and these five different arias. And if if they don't do all of that and they don't fit this cookie cutter mold that I have of this type of soprano, I I need someone different because I need this cookie cutter that I can plug in to pretty much any opera. And as I was auditioning for agents, they would say, you've got so many things, you're this bright, shiny package, you're polished, you're good looking, you're in great shape, but, oh, I really just wish there was, you know, this type of romantic Italian aria on your, on your list. And I just thought if I'm great at all these things, like why, why am I going to do something that I'm not really, really great at just to fit this, this mold that that you need. And so I really started specializing, I guess you would say, and doing Mm -hmm. repertoire that I really excelled and really loved, you know, that's Baroque music, contemporary music, crossover. And, you know, if you're not super interested in the more unique things that I have to offer, and if if you're not really sure what to do with them, then don't worry about it. I'm, I'm fine by myself. And it took, it took a while for me to get to that point because I thought, oh, I really need to get this, a big fancy agent who's going to do all this stuff for me. And I finally realized after many years of trying to stuff myself into this mold that I was just better off marketing myself than working with someone who wasn't really sure what to do with me. That makes a lot of sense. What, yeah. what was that turning point for you? Do you think, can you, can you pinpoint it? Do you remember Same any questions? Yeah. <laughs> do you remember any like sort of particular thoughts that ran through your head or a specific experience or something that allowed you to kind of shift gears from, I have to fit this mold to fuck that. I'm going to do 
what works for me and see how that goes? Yeah, there were a couple things that happened. I mean, first of all, it was that particular conversation that I had, and it sort of left me feeling like, okay, so just because I can't sing, not even that I can't, just because I don't have this particular opera aria today, you don't want to work with me, that kind of set off my alarm bells a little bit. You know, is, is this something that I, is this the type of agent that I really want to pursue? And then I will say another thing that really was a turning point for me was I got to do a show in 2010 called um, From Berlin to Broadway, and it was a big court vial review, sort of uh, telling the story of his whole life. And it was very different than traditional opera. And I got so inspired because I, I had really never dug deep into his music before. And from there, I started doing cabarets. And then I started going to auditions and saying, you know what, instead of bringing a French aria, a German aria, an Italian aria, an English, like all these, all these stupid categories that, that everyone wants, I started going to auditions and saying, you know what, here's two court vial pieces, one handle, and a French piece. You know, I, I started sort of just bringing in what kind of arias felt good to me without following this big formula. And I just, I, I noticed that I started getting more work that way. And even though maybe, maybe my list of arias was, was, um, I don't know, less than traditional, I felt like I started singing better when I wasn't including things on my list of things to offer that didn't feel amazing for me. So I, I just started getting to the point where I thought life is too short and not that I'm old, but I'm getting to the point where I, I'm too old to be singing shit that doesn't feel amazing. You know, it's like clothes. Why am I going to wear something that doesn't look awesome on me and that I don't feel great in? So that, that definitely was a big turning point for me as well. Oh God, breaking rules pays off. <laughs> it really it. does. I mean, to this day, to this day, someone contacted me about doing it in an audition and I looked at their audition requirements and they're like five arias. And I just thought you're interested in me for one very specific role. Why the fuck do I need to bring five arias? Like, you know, this is not, this is not college. I, I just thought that was, that was really strange. And, yeah. you know, had I, had I decided to audition, I just would have brought in what I wanted to bring in. Um, yeah. You know, and it's kind of, if, if you're, if you're not into that, then no problem. <laughs> well, and it, it also really, oh. sorry, just real quick, Lydia, I was just going to say, it really allows you to shine in exactly what you do, right? Like versus that kind of, of all the sopranos who have five arias, this one seems like they'd be good for the general thing we're doing versus if they're doing something that really is up your alley, you're giving them, giving them an opportunity to see that you're perfect for it. Right. Why should I show them something? Why should I show them something that's less than? You know, why should I show them anything other than my absolute strongest selections? So I just feel like in general, you want, why put anything out there that you don't feel great about? Yeah, I love that because it's like you could show up with five arias and like four of them might not actually fit you that well. And so they're getting like four fifths of you that is not really you. Exactly. And exactly. who wants that? <laughs> and if you're wearing, you know, this weird audition outfit that someone coached you to wear, you know, a knee length jewel tone dress with nude shoes, you know, that's something you wouldn't even wear in real life. They're not even seeing who you are. Now, that topic has been discussed ad nauseum in the opera community. And I do feel like that's finally changing. You know, women are starting to 
embraced a little bit more of an individual style. But for years, a lot of us were coached to wear certain things, never wear open-toed shoes, you know, all sorts of, all sorts of bullshit. Blech. Sounds annoying. (laughs) Annoying. (laughs) I want to know if you were speaking with a young artist who is interested in starting to break this rule, right? I mean, the the rule, we're, call, we're calling it, right, um, real artists don't get naked. And naked, what I'm starting yeah. to hear is that, like, there's such authenticity in being who you are as an artist rather than being the pre-prescribed version. So I'm curious yeah. what you would, what advice you would give to an artist who's interested in really, like, sharing who they are in their work and who has hesitation, or maybe they've been coached to do all of the formulated stuff. Um, what, how would you, what would you say to them? Well, I would say, you know, it's not bad to conform at least somewhat, because if, if you're really far out there, it is true that, that you might come across as intimidating, not intimidating in, you know, a powerful woman kind of way, but like, oh God, she walked in here and her entire face is full of metal. You know, she's covered in tattoos and her hair is pink. How are we going to make her look like Susanna in Marriage of Figaro? You know, that you do have to sort of conform a little bit, I, I would say, just because y- you do want to be malleable and you do want to be able to play lots of different characters and a lot of directors lack imagination. But that being said, there is a way to do that without losing sense of yourself. You know, so you really want to have your own style, your own, feel comfortable in your own skin. And then from there, think outside the box because the, the opera industry has really changed. So you want to think outside the box and, and think about different ways you can market yourself using opera. It doesn't just have to be singing in operas, you know, learn how to self-produce your own shows, put on put on your own productions, make your own recordings come up with ideas. You're, you're going to have to self-start a little bit at this point. So I would just say, aside from embracing your individuality, do what feels amazing. Don't put anything out there that isn't your absolute best and, you know, get creative. You need to be a bit of an entrepreneur at this point. I love that. Oh, mm-hmm. Such good advice. Such good <laughs> advice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you and know, what, with this whole, um, sorry to interrupt you, with no, this whole okay. pole, pole dancing aerial thing, you know, at this point, of course, I do all those things. But it, recently, of course, with company XIV, I'm doing a lot of that all together. So I am singing full opera arias while doing acrobatic pole routines. You know, I'm singing huge opera pieces while doing aerial routines in the aerial hoop, lira. So I've really combined these skills to develop a niche for myself. And that wasn't why I picked up pole and aerial in the first place, but eventually it it came to be through trial and error. So I guess, I guess don't be afraid to try new things because you never know. You never know what kind of, what kind of hybrid that might turn into. Absolutely. Because now I have a niche that, you know, I'm, I, I hesitate to say, I, I just have a niche that, that not really a lot of people can do. I mean, I, I yeah. certainly never have a cover in these, in these shows, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. and you know, I, as, as you've been talking, one other thing I've been thinking about kind of going back to the original rule is 
has allowing yourself to perform naked or mostly naked. Um, and by the way, Lydia, she fucking brings the house down. You should see her when she's upside down. I want to. Singing oh like God. a high D, you know, and <laughs> everybody's like, I don't even understand. What am I looking <laughs> at right now? Um, but it's magical. There's glitter falling from the ceiling and you just feel like you're in some alternate universe. It's, it's fantastic. It's a dream. It's a dream it's, come true. It's a complete dream. But I'm also curious, you know, um, beyond this thing that being naked doesn't hurt your career, I'm wondering if you have found in any ways um, that that allowing yourself to enjoy um, your nudity, enjoy your physicality um, has actually improved not just your career, but your artistry, your music, your sense of yourself and your body. I mean, also as a singer, right? Like that must have transformed how you relate to your body as a singer. Absolutely. I mean, pole That's class good. alone gets you very comfortable in your own skin because it's a matter of, it's a technicality. You can't stick to the pole without most of your skin showing. You know, a lot of people think, oh, pole dancers, they they wear no clothes because they're all strippers. I mean, sure, that is an element of pole dance, of course, but it's also practicality. I mean, the skin has to be there in order to stick on the pole. But yeah, I just feel so... I feel so in tune with my body at this point. I and mean, it's nothing for me to just wander around the theater just in rehearsal on a G string, just cause I'm so used to basically have my ass out <laughs> the whole time every day. And I just, it's very liberating and, and I feel very free. You know, I don't have, I have no inhibitions on the pole or the hoop because I physically can't dance wearing a ton of, of clothes. And that's, that's freeing physically as well as mentally and it's it's also I think exciting for people to people to experience live singing and live dance in that way and be able to really see everything that's going on I mean they can see me breathing they can they can hear me breathing they can they can see me sweating and I think it's it's a really kind of visceral experience you know having the partial nudity there mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. And I will say also, doing all of this pole and aerial while singing has really gotten me much more in tune with my support system because my core is constantly engaged when I'm, you know, having to stay on the pole or hanging upside down. So I would absolutely say it's, it's helped immensely. And I've being so comfortable in my own skin has definitely made me a better singer, better performer, and, you know, I'm really proud of my body. I've worked so hard for it. And it's also, you know, I have, I have a lot of muscles, of course, as doing this. And I used to be kind of self-conscious about it. But, but now my body looks how it does as a form of function. You know, it looks, it looks how it does because I, I'm hauling my own ass over my head every single day, day in and day out. So when you look at my body, you're seeing what it can do. You know, you're not just seeing, oh, a fit person. You're you're looking at something that's a result of of a really special skill that I have. So I'm really proud of that, and it and it feels it feels great. And more often than not, I, I really enjoy being being mostly naked on stage. It feels really good. Yeah, it's so cool. And and you know, it's we've we've had a lot of conversations, Lydia and I, about kind of um, what it means to be a feminist. 
and and brought that up on the show a lot, right? Like, can can feminists wear makeup? Can feminists be submissive? Um, can feminists pole dance, right? Because I think probably a lot of the stigma around this is, oh, you're you're making yourself trashy, you're turning yourself into a sex object, all this other stuff. And what I'm hearing from you is the polar opposite of that, that it's really giving you power and that you're recognizing your body as this um, instrument uh, oh, beyond just kind of the nudity aspect, right? Absolutely. There, there was a big controversy recently. There was an event, I believe it was supposed to take place in Canada, but it was a Take Back the Night event um, to really promote female empowerment and uh, anti-rape culture. And there, there was going to be a presentation, I believe, from a local pole studio, and they pulled it because they, they didn't like the idea of pole dancing being part of this thing because they thought it was anti-feminist. They thought it was, you know, um, just part of rape culture, male chauvinists and, and not empowering women. And of course they originally wanted it to be part of this whole event because it's just the opposite. I mean, you're not going to speak to a single pole dancer, whether they embrace the sexy side of pole or the more gymnastic side of pole you're not going to talk to anyone who studies this art form who doesn't feel empowered by it and who doesn't feel stronger mentally and physically by, by pole. I mean, you're just not going to find it. And, and it, it's pretty, it's pretty maddening that the, the ignorance that is still there. I mean, it's less and less because more and more people have a friend, you know, or a friend of a friend who studies pole as a form of, even just as a form of exercise. And, um, you know, it's definitely, it's definitely very, very empowering. And I don't think it is anti-feminist at all. Not even a little. So cool. I love it's it. Been, yeah, it's been awesome to hear, to hear your journey, to hear your story. And, you know, you're, you're sort of a consummate rule breaker, right? And this is what we love about this podcast and about all the people that we get to talk to, just seeing the amazing success that happens when you lean into your instincts and you lean into your authenticity and you make choices that feel good on kind of that visceral level, right? Like that level of values. Um, and you know, I remember when we were talking about this, preparing for the episode, it was kind of like, well, you know, to all those people who said, I'm not going to be a real artist. I'm working six nights a week in New York. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Like, um, and it's, it's awesome. It's, it's really awesome. So, you know, thanks so much for coming on our show, um, and sharing this with us. I feel like it's a, this is a totally empowering episode for a variety of reasons. I don't know, Lydia, what's your, what's your input here? I just want to go learn how to do it. I'm like, I want to know how to use my body in that way. That's amazing. <laughs> do it. Take class. Step one. Yeah. It's like, I, yeah, I'm just very inspired by your groundedness in who you are and your like total uninhibited commitment to share that in your art. It's so amazing. Thank you so much. It really is a gift to get to be doing what I'm doing. Um, I'm just so thrilled for the opportunity and I'm, I'm just so thankful that, that I, I found this outlet and I really feel like at this point I'm my absolute truest self is a performer. Finally, uh, my husband, when he first saw me in a company XIV show last year, 
just said, oh my God, I, I just saw you in your element. You know, this is your, your truest self. So, you know, it, it took a little time. I'm 36. Uh, and that sort of basically just, just happened in the past couple of years, but I, I feel really, really lucky for it and really thankful. Well, speaking of which, uh, where can folks find you? I mean, if they want to look you up online, if they want to come see you in a show, I mean, what, where can they find you? Absolutely. Well, first you can uh, check out my website at www.marcyrichardson.com. That's Marcy with the C, uh, C-Y. And uh, you can also find me on Instagram. I am Opera Gaga on both Instagram and Twitter. Uh, that's my voice teacher's, <laughs> voice teacher's nickname for me. Uh, she came up with a million years ago when Lady Gaga hit the scene. And she was like, oh, you guys both have white hair. Um, and you can also catch me with Company XIV at the Irondale Theater. We have a beautiful show happening right now called Paris. And it's based on the Greek myth, The Judgment of Paris, uh, where... Paris, who's immortal, has to award a golden apple to the most beautiful goddess. Of course, I'm playing Athena, and I have a big, crazy acrobatic pole number where I'm singing on the pole, and so I think a lot of listeners would love it. And then we close that in about a month and go into our Christmas show, Nutcracker Rouge, and that's that's a great, popular, fun holiday show with lots of lots of burlesque and 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 goodies and aerial and glitter and. So I really do hope uh, that people will come check out Company XAV at the Irondale Theater in Brooklyn if you haven't checked us out already. I second this. I've been to Nutcracker Rouge last year. It was a hell of a show. I think I went three times with various people because I, oh, yeah. <laughs> I had to keep coming back. Um, you're and gonna love, I can't wait to see gonna, Paris. You're going to love this theater because this time around it's not theater seats. Everything is is couches, uh, cafe Ooh. tables. We've got table service with champagne. It's a totally different experience, uh, much more Fabulous. intimate. Yeah, there's not a bad seat in the house, so you're going to love it. All right. Thanks again for coming on the show, and Thanks, we'll talk ladies. to you soon. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of Rules Aren't Real. We hope it gave you some serious food for thought when it comes to the rules you might be following in your own lives. In fact, we'd love to hear about those personal rules of yours or any other thoughts you have about our show. Join the conversation on Instagram at RAR Podcast today. If you want to learn more about Lydia or me, please visit our website at rowancoaching.com slash RAR. Thanks again for listening. We can't wait to break some more rules with you next week. See you soon. soon.